Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Warrior You podcast with your host, me, Bram Connolly. The Warrior You podcast is all about unpacking secrets from our guests on leadership, human optimization, mental toughness, and resilience. We deep dive into their experiences to try and find little knowledge nuggets that can make us better than what we were yesterday. Why not share all of our experiences and work out exactly what it is that makes us better as being human? So today's guest, let's get into it. See what they've got to offer. Anthony Platter, welcome to the Warrior You podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm awesome, Bram. And yourself? Um, I'm really good. Thanks for asking. No one ever asks me that. Really? Yeah. It's all about the care and the love here, mate. You know how it is. I do. I do. So we've been friends since 1991. Well, friends. You didn't like me back then. You just tolerated me because I was the winger on our football team. But, um, <laughs> but so I, true. We've known each you, other. Your hands were a bit dodgy back then. Yeah. Like, you know, probably yeah, three out of five you'd catch, but... But we did win. We did a lot, win a lot for a lot of years. We did. Yeah, so we've been friends for a long time and our careers have sort of followed each other through different phases and, and the like. Probably probably almost as close as Reese Dewar's. Um, I said we wouldn't name names, but he's the patron saint of all things common sense. So I'm allowed <laughs> to name him on here. Um, Just, yeah. yeah, so Reese's career and mine followed each other, but yours and mine did as well. Yeah, and so what we're going to talk about today, I think the themes today will be leadership, resilience, human optimization, funnily enough, um, my three favorite themes. And first of all, before we get started, on December 6th, we're running the Warrior You Live podcast in Sydney. Um, tickets will be, I think they're going to be $65 each, and there's some early bird specials that we're going to announce. We're going to try and fill the hole up, wherever that is, um, and do this interactive podcast with myself and a panel of experts and, um, and then we're going to have a roaming microphone. And it's the day after the Jocko Willick podcast. So I'm hoping that some people go into the Jocko podcast, or Jocko Echelon Front, I should say, uh, muster will then filter over the next day after being beaten up by him in jiu-jitsu <laughs> and come listen to the podcast. Um, but, yeah, there's some big announcements to be made on that day about, mm. about where Warrior U is going as a brand and also – um, moving sort of less away from the military and more global as a movement to try and help people um, well, be better than what they were yesterday, I guess. And on that sort of note, this is well and truly about the military. A lot, a lot of it will be about the military, about um, your journey in the military and your journey after the military, which I think is probably um, not only fascinating but also a testament to who I see you as. Um, but let's start at the beginning. Who was Anthony Platter prior to 1988, 89? 
88. 88. October 88. October 88. Before you joined the uh, – oh, my God, you're 50. Two years away. I'm 48 this uh, year. 48, yeah. So, so prior to 88, who was Anthony Platter? Where did you grow up? What did you do? And um, what was the technology like back then when you wanted to join the ADA? Yeah, no. that's, yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people ask me where I'm from, but I don't really have a location. I was born in Griffith, New South Wales, but spent a little bit of time there and then moved to Sydney with my folks. Mm. And then mum and dad being chefs, we um, travelled around Australia for, for a couple of years, um, spent some time in Perth and some time in Darwin. And then we sort of settled for a couple of years in Catherine in the Northern Territory yeah. Um, so Move everywhere. Yeah. So that's when people ask me where you're from. I'm like, oh, I don't really have a home location. Home is where I'm currently living and where my bed and pillow are, I suppose. I thought you were going to say home is where the heart is then. Yeah, no, I, I thought of that and I thought, no, that sounds a bit tacky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, I joined the army uh, in Wollongong mm. uh, in October 88. Did you know you were going to join the army? No, I actually tried oh. for, for the navy. What? And anyway, this has been the Warrior You podcast. <laughs> we'll just end it there. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, I tried for the Navy about yeah. 12 months before I, as an apprentice. I have no idea what I was applying for, but it seemed like a good career at the yeah. time. And uh, I didn't make the cut for, like, again, I can't remember the reason, but yeah. uh, I went back to school about halfway through year 11 uh, in 88. I uh, applied again for the Army mm. and um, got accepted. Um, Mum and Dad took me to Sydney. Uh, a couple of days later and had the, the sign-on ceremony and there I was on the bus to, mm. to Kapuka. It's safe to say that back in those days, and even when I joined a few years later, that the army was like, it was almost like an extension of what you did if you weren't going to go on the dole. It was like the other <laughs> yeah. thing you did, wasn't yeah. it? It was like, I can't really do an apprenticeship. I'll join the army and then I'll work it out from there. And then did you stay, before we go into Kapuka and Singleton, did you stay on DFIDB when you were on it? No. Okay, okay, cool. We'll yep. talk about that later. Yeah, let's just cut it there. Yeah. <laughs> um, although that probably turned out all right. Anyway, um, Kapuka, what was that like? Mm, it was uh, interesting. I mean, you know, the, the brochures about, you know, the facilities and how plush it is were... Cook this up for us, Davo. Do you remember that ad yeah. where the tank goes through the water and the That's Yabby it. on the front? That's it, yeah, yeah. I'm absolutely. joining the army. I'm joining the army. Yeah. It was a culture shock, mate, to be honest. Yeah. Like, as a young kid who only just, you know, I was about... It was about two weeks after my 17th birthday. Mm. Uh, here I was on the bus and, you know, there was a lot of older guys. I think I was the youngest you know, in the platoon or whatever. Oh, no so, doubt. Um, and you, would you, were you a young 17-year-old when you joined? Like as in – because I know when you would remember me, I reckon, from, from one hour back in those days. And I was a young 17-year-old, like really quite – I look at pictures of me and Smiley and I'm like, oh, dude, I would not give that kid a gun. Yeah, you were young looking, don't yeah, get me wrong. Yeah, but, but young I, in the mind too, really. Yeah, I never saw that side of you, Bram. Yeah, oh, I, I, always, felt it. I always felt I always felt sort of out of place. I felt like a kid in a man's world, to be fair. You had a baby face, yeah. but you were always forward-leaning in terms of, yeah. you know, what you were trying oh, to like achieve. Like a punch. You could punch. Yeah. And you could run. Yeah, that's about it. Like a demon. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. No, no, yeah. So did you, you didn't feel like you were, like you were younger, but you didn't feel like you were the youngest? Like no, I, I thought I was pretty mature. Okay. Um, but makes a difference yeah. too when we when when I first really started to get to know is probably probably just after Somalia, I'd say, or maybe maybe before. But yeah, a couple of years makes a difference back in those days too. Oh, 100%. 18 to eighteen and twenties, yeah, years apart. That's it. Yeah. 
literally. I mean, you know, as you say, yeah, it's a massive change. You, know, you grew up pretty quick in the yeah, battalion. That's like, true. You know, it was school yeah. of hard knocks. Yeah. Um, I used to get asked on. for ID all the time. We used to go out drinking because I was 17 still when we first got Yeah, started. 100%. Yeah. Like, you know, trying to get into Langs and stuff yeah. as, a, as a 17-year-old. I had my Oh, it wasn't called Langs. Birth. No, it was. That was that no, was before original. that. It was oh, called no. bloody scums, wasn't scums, it? Scums. That's right. Yeah, that's what it. was there. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy days. But yeah. yeah, as I said, that's where I had my 18th yeah. birthday. Was Langs? No way. Yeah. Crazy. I had my 18th birthday on tracking course. Yeah, right. And I had my 19th birthday. Where did I have my 19th birthday? Uh, Coomba Loomba, and my 21st was on the recon course. Crazy. Fucked up, man. <laughs> when you think about that, I've had all those. I'll probably have my 50th in the jungle somewhere. We outfield on your on all on the recon course? Because, because yeah. Yeah, so I was, you were whispering I was in, happy birthday to each other? Oh, well, no, no Because that's knew. what we did. We no all whispered one, for like well, days on were, end. You were in the platoon. And I was on <laughs> course. We were, um, we were, and we'll get to your career in a sec. We're talking about me now. <laughs> we were, uh, on my 21st birthday, we were lying by the side of Coombaloomba Dam in a hide and I was with um, Bingers. I yeah, was with right. Bingers in a hide. Yeah. Because I think he was either shadowing us or working. Or maybe he was on that course, actually. And um, we were watching. It was my 21st birthday, and I was doing a sketch inside a. Because we didn't have cameras back in those yeah, days. Yeah, so we were doing a sketch of the your, enemy um, camp. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in your field uh, engineer's notebook. notebook. And that's right, the bigger one. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Called. Engineer's notebook. Yeah. And we were looking across the dam, and this Zodiac was doing what it did every day, which was like come across at a certain time to drop some rations off. It had done it for the last three days. Yep, yep. Except this day, it just sounded different, like it was coming faster. And then it didn't, it didn't <laughs> de-throttle towards the beach, and then the next thing we know, it comes straight up on the beach, and all these guys came running off of it towards our hide, and we knew we were done. We were done. And we had to break contact out of there, and yep. then I spent my 21st birthday – doing escape and evasion by myself in Coombaloom because we split up. We yeah. air burst. Did you have your pack? Or did you dump your pack? Uh, dump my pack. Yeah, so right. I was in webbing and I was laying I was laying under a log and um Bean Wainwright walked across <laughs> the log that I was laying underneath, fully cammed up, yeah, walked yeah. across the log, and he was like, I'll fucking find you, you little fucker. <laughs> so he knew where I was, I reckon, <laughs> but he's just like, he's just like yep. making out. Skitsing it up. Yeah, and then when he went, I was like, because when you – when you then come out from under the log, right, in the jungle, you've got to go – you've got to tune into everything. Yeah, that's and it. And sort of creep off again yep. into the – Looking around. Looking, and you're trying to go towards right. your RV. And you don't know if the RV is now compromised. And that was my 21st birthday, man. Damn. Okay, Good go back times. to Kabuka. Let's go back to Kabuka. <laughs> um, yeah, culture shock is what I remember it as. But um, steep learning curve – but it was good times. Though. You made friends quickly, made mates, and you knew, you know, the guys that you could sort of hang mm. with. Yeah. And you knew the wiki guys uh, who, who you sort of, not avoided, but you knew that, you know, they weren't exactly up to standard at the mm. time. But, yeah, that was Kapuka. Straight out of Culture there. Shock. Into Singleton. Into you, know, you knew you were going to infantry while you were at Kapuka? No. Oh, towards the end, um, we found out. I think it was like week eight or nine or something. Back That's where in. you wanted to go? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I mean, I had no, um, very little military in my, in my family, except for my Uncle Don, who was uh, – you know, he was Vietnam, Malaya, Borneo uh, veteran, and he was actually a CSM oh, yeah, in right three area. Right. It was a big deal. Oh, so he was a he was a big what, dog. Capion? Uh yeah. Wow. Back in the day, so that was my only military influence. I mean, dude, no- there's a there's a guy. I can't remember his name. I'm sorry to any of the indigenous people listening to this, but there's a guy from the Second World War who won all an Aboriginal guy who won all these awards in the Second World War. Mm. His dad was in the First World War and had won some sort of gallantry medal. And this guy had 
won a medal in Trieria at the Battle of Kapiong as well. He's the most decorated Aboriginal. Damn. And we were never taught about him. Why not? I know. Why? It's insane. That's crazy. My son taught me about him because he did a project on him at school. Oh, serious. He came back and, and I was – this is this year. And I read this project and I was ashamed. That I didn't know that. Anyway. That's so crazy. I'll find out his name and I'll put it on the show notes for this podcast so people can go and research him. Yeah, that'd be yeah. cool. I mean, warrior family. Yeah, 100%. You know? Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. So, your um, uncle would have known this guy. Probably, yeah, yeah, absolutely. This guy was a captain at that stage. Mm. So, he's like the two I see. He'd gone through the ranks. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, Don was, um, yeah, was an amazing person. And it's funny, I, I spent some time with him um, early days when I was in Townsville and He'd come up, he was living in Redland Bay just outside Brisbane there and spent some time in him and uh, Marnie June. It was just sitting back and listening to his stories about jungle warfare and, and, and stuff like that. It was just like... And that's a soldier's soldier too. Like, he loved it. Yeah, mate. Like, yeah. I've, I've seen photos of him. Uh, he was injured at Coral and um, he, he took a, a round just behind the ear and there's a, there's a photo I've got from the War Memorial of, you know, he's got this field you know, dressing on the side of his head and, mm. uh, you know, I've, it's you one of my treasured possessions that i've got at home so amazing mm. amazing person so singleton sunny singo any good stories from singer or just just um, was what it was it was what it was yeah he just got through it and it was just cold and wet yeah. and miserable and but yeah. it was um it was it was again it was like a you always reflect on those yeah. times and and the guys that you went through with you know the you know joint hardships i suppose you could you could say it as yeah there was myself and um rowie you might remember i think rowie was killed in an accident up in Townsville not ah, yeah, a yeah. few years ago, yep. unfortunately. So him and I were in the same um, platoon at Kapuka and one other guy who's in the in was in the regiment, I'm sure he's doing another job now. And um the three of us went core enlisted we went into the core enlisted third battalion platoon, double platoon, because it was the only one that we would be able to get into to get into the battalion without going into a holdover platoon yeah, right. for six months. Okay. So we marched in to Singleton into the 3rd Battalion, <laughs> Corps Enlisted Platoon, with 3rd Battalion instructors, Stomper, uh, and, yep, uh, and, yep. Bill and Dixon and the like. Yep. Oh, my God. <laughs> I had a rough three months. Yeah. It's good, Would though. It's character building, yeah, absolutely. which we'll talk about later yes. on. I look back on my uh, ability to reframe situations and mental toughness on that first – that was a first real experience where yep. I was bastardised and not – and like gaslighting. Like yeah. not not physically, like just uh, just uh, mental just abuse mental because downs. you're not going to three hour, you coward. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and then I went to one hour, and I tell you what, I tell you who I hated. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, my my uh, NCO yeah. was um, who was three hour. Yeah, and I think he spent some time uh, yeah. on the west coast, but yeah, he was the same. Like he would just come in and just tear dudes down. Like mm. you know, as soon as we found out, you know, you were going to one hour or, or two four at the time, and you weren't going to three hour. Yeah. Did not want to know you. No. And would just absolutely, you know. I wonder if it's like that these days. I don't know. I don't think. Like as in from a battalion perspective of guys who don't even know what the battalions are like. I mean, one one RAR, I remember seeing three RAR in the jungle in Tully when I was the enemy up there. Mm. And I'd played the enemy for our own companies from one RAR and for three. And three was, they were pretty impressive. Mm. Like they were professional. Yeah. That was 1992 or whatever it was. Yeah. No, that's good. I mean, geez, we spent some time in the jungle. Like oh, yeah. We, there was a couple of yeah. years there, like, you know, 91, 92, 93, 
you know, pre and post Somalia, like we just lived at Coombalumba and yeah. Tully and all those places. Yeah. It was just like it was awesome. It was outstanding. Like recently, just, I did a whole podcast on it. Like I, that's yeah. where my professionalism for soldiering came from. Like yeah. to do professionalism, I believe, is doing the right thing to the right standard when mm. no one's watching. Yeah. It's as simple as that. And yeah. the jungle will teach you to do that. Hundred percent. Well, I mean, it's that old saying: if you can soldier and survive in the jungle, mm. you know, it's just a template for you mm. know, urban or you know. Mm. Um, medium vegetation you know operations it's Mm. just it's a harsh um place to to fight and to to live live for long periods of time yeah um so townsville what was your first recollection of getting there first day in the battalion um do you remember just the heat getting off the plane and and just you know Mm. coming out of uh out of singo i think i left there in may and was in the battalion in may 89 um because the boys were getting ready for k89 the big kangaroo exercise, which I think was like only a couple of months away, mm. so we were sort of front loaded very quickly and in, into our um, into our companies and platoons, and it, we just had to hit the ground running. My first NCO was was an absolute hard charger, and he just absolutely it was either you know you you, you made the grade or you, or you didn't. Who's that? Come on. Um, oh right. So, yeah, he was uh, he was basically the first. Or well, second person I met in the battalion. Yeah, was, you know was he was that. my wing sergeant major at Singleton. Oh, really? When I was the OC selection wing. Wow. He oh, was, that's right. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I, yeah, I, think I, I recall have that. a lot of love for that bloke. Mate, actually, outstanding human yeah, being. Yeah. And whenever I see him, I'm I'm get him on a podcast. That'd do be it, awesome. Mate, mate, he would He'd be have some stories. Jesus, mate, some, I can tell you some stories about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus, I bet. But yeah, I mean, he he and he would have been a different guy when when I had him as the. WSM to what oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, he was like a you know a, a corporal who was just thrusting and just yeah. nothing was a challenge for him. Wayne like, Prosser. All oh, right. Yeah. So well, there you go. You know, I, I, well, there. This is not a. This is like a game of similar. you know you put the cards down. Like, oh, I raise <laughs> your Wayne. Prosser. I'll trump you. <laughs> but yeah. they they were from the yeah. same era in the yeah, battalion. Yeah. Like you know, yeah. I don't know when they got there yeah, you know, individually, yeah. but you know, obviously Pross was pioneers. Oh, they were on and, Morris and to Fiji. Yeah. Yeah. To the. Emergency, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Mm. But yeah. um, just you know, every time I've run into in a military sense or a civilian capacity, he's just the most you know. Mm. He's a gentleman, mm. you know, regardless mm. of mm. where he's from, East Coast, West Coast, mm. you know, from from our you know backgrounds, etc. He's just mm. he's always happy to have a conversation and mm. you know, have a quick chat and mm. you know um, flash that smile of his. You know, mm. So it's good, dude. The battalion, big blue one. So that's eighty not eighty eight. 89 recon course. Yeah. That's, so that's pretty early to get on a recon course, mate. One unit battalion. You yeah. You must have started 100%. shaving your legs and drinking. <laughs> started drinking Gatorade. Yeah, was coming. Because well, you were doing definitely doing that when I was there. Pause for effect. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> high no, speed, I mean, low drag. High speed, low drag. Yeah, there it is. I guess, yeah, I, I, after K89 and, you know, influence of, you know, I was thrust you know, straight into his his uh, number one scout and um, no idea why. And that's a path. That's the path. That's it. hundred percent. And like, you know, he, he's pretty much sold it to me from then, you know, he was, you know, laid the path out for me and um, a couple of other guys, um, Colin Reeves. Yeah. Was, Reezy. Yeah. Reezy's a good dude. Mm. Yeah. So I got back from KD9 and then we had a couple of months of, um, of training and then there was that normal sort of specialist course, you know, the last couple of months of the year and hence don't have your birthday in October because you're yeah. always on a specialist course. That's right. Mm. And you'll find yourself in clean balloon, really, mm. you know, knee deep in water or something like that. Mm. Straight on the recon course and it was just the most extreme learning curve. I bet. Um back then. 
that I'd ever seen. You know, mm. blokes like, um, you know, Dutchy Van Droffler came mm. came in and was the instructor. And um, I still hear from from Mick from from time to time. Yeah, yeah, Every, we're hooked up on on social yeah. as well. And um, yeah. he was a, a consummate professional. Oh, hundred percent. My God, I anyway probably shouldn't tell this story. Let me think about it a second. Yeah, will. Um, he was not shy of throwing his fists around. Dutchy? Yeah. Vandroff. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Dude. And could. 100%. But always for good instead of evil, yeah. I found. Yeah. But just a tough dude. Oh, mate. Like the there was, toughest. Well, there were some tough dudes in the battalion back in, that, back in those days. Steve Chinner. Mm. Like he was in that group no, as no, well. No, no, I'm talking about Mick Vandroff's dad. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, what's going on here? The lights just went lights out. Lights went out. Keep talking. Yeah, so he um, – and obviously he passed a couple of years back, but um, just, mate, he was from old school, you know, regiment time. Obviously, you know, his, his background and ilk was pretty impressive. And yeah. for, for him to come on and instruct on the recon course. Yeah. I remember we were doing a 3.2 run and now there was guys like, you know, Mark Vitalik who, who was on the course as oh, well. Yeah, and yeah. So he had to run 3.2 in your webbing and stuff and we're carrying outrageous weights. It was more than, you know – what they carry these days but so we're doing the 3.2 and it was on the brigade track there somewhere and i'd started running and you know up with a good pace and then i'd, I'd stopped to to take a couple of steps to walk because you know obviously van droffler he had that stutter mm. i remember him him saying to me he just popped out from this bush somewhere and he's like fucking platter who told you to fucking walk yes <laughs> and it was just like yep that's a moment right there i better keep running <laughs> But yeah, he would, I mean, guys like him who came on the course and were just like, yeah, it was pretty extreme. It was a massive learning curve for a guy who'd been in the battalion yeah. for like less than 12 months. But yeah. it taught me so much in such a short space of time. Like the course was six weeks, but, and, and I think that shaped me as a young soldier. Like, mm. to be honest, like, it was like, okay, this is the path I want to take. You know, this is, this is where I want to be at. And these guys are professional. Not that I really knew what being a professional soldier was mm. but it was just the whole spectrum of soldiering was compact in this six weeks and it was mm. like upskill from you know what we what taught at, I, uh, at IT's to you know what the guys were doing in, in recon platoon in the battalion so and then well not long after that Somalia mm. what, where were you when you got the call up or the letter or whatever it was the, yeah. the telegram back the then tele- I think it was it was a telegram it was a telegram it was a telegram mate I, I still actually, have it actually pardon I still have it do you yeah I do yeah my mum kept it yeah well, yeah, I was um, my folks at the time were in a place called Kennet Creek mm. uh, in in the mindset. My dad was um, mm. running the um, the food side of the house mm. uh, in the in the kitchen there on the, at, at the mine site, and I'd gone home for leave. You went um, to a mine for leave. Well, it was yeah, ish. What was I thinking? Close. I've got no idea. Yeah. I, but it was like I back, often back lament. I often say, like twenty years in the army. Why didn't I ever go to Budapest? <laughs> or I went back to Adelaide. Yeah. Like, why didn't I get on a plane and go to Phuket? Or yeah, but that's what we did back I then. Know. It was like, well, where am I going to travel? I'll go back well, I'm and see tell mum them, and dad. Yeah, I'm going to tell them I'm going to take the plane, then I'm going to take the money, I'm going to catch a greyhound. I was just going to say that. to say that? Because it was like, you got paid exuberant amounts. Broad. Yeah, I'm going back home to see my yeah. oaks, and you were paid like, you know, a couple of grand. But mm. yeah, that's where I was. I was in yeah. Tennant Creek. Back then, they used to keep money out of our pay and give you a Christmas bonus. Yes. Remember that? Yeah. And I think was it cash or was it was it? cat. Well, yeah. it was when I first got there, we had to mark, walk up, salute. Yeah, that's sign right. For into it. the you know between commander's office and yeah. throw a box. It wasn't for long. It wasn't. It wasn't long after I got there that they stopped it and went um, EFT. Well, that's how it used to get get yeah. our pay at um, Kapuka. Yeah, same. We had to march down the hallway. 
Yeah, march down the hallway. Check halt, yeah, and you'd have give to say twelve dollars fifty. They've taken four <laughs> yeah, of us off you. You're seventy one dollars for yeah. you know a monthly pay. Recruit Connolly wishing to speak to <laughs> Lieutenant Knob Jockey. Oh, stop it! Flashbacks yeah. are coming now. Yeah. yeah, classic. So Somalia telegram to Tennant Creek mine site. Yep, there I was. Um, Everyone must have thought you were a hero. Must have. It was just like, wow, this is going down. It's cool because I'd seen nothing. You know, there was no little media. Mm. And I don't remember seeing even like the lads from Alpha who, you know, rocked over um, before Christmas. I don't remember seeing any of that. Um, yeah, well, I went on the advance party. I think we, they, they left. On for, the Knimbler? Yeah, and yeah, we right. flew over and, you know, were there still two weeks before. Securing ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for the rest of us to roll in. Not, we didn't have any ammunition. <laughs> and we were staying in the Moroccan's tents. Yeah, nice. Mm. That would have been awesome. Mm. I think Hugh Rimmington was there. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how safe we were. Hugh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hugh, Hugh took a photo, I think, or was there and saw the guys get off the Qantas aircraft when they got shot at. Yes. Well, I was there. Yeah. That, with, that, with no ammunition. No ammunition. We got, you know. No rifles. No, oh. They were still coming out of a... On a pallet. Yeah, from them. All we had was like your, your day pack. We still had our shout, uh, slouch hats. Fucking um, slouch hat though. I mean, slouch yeah. <laughs> we were safe, mate. Fucking hide under that any day. Charge! <laughs> <laughs> um, slouch hats on, lads. Let's go. But yeah, it was crazy times. Man. I remember, um, yeah, coming back, I was in Giles Blackman's patrol um, and... Another big name from your past. Yeah, Giles Blackman. Mm. Let's bow down for him. Mm. Only man to uh, throw the rubbish bin through the CA's office. Yes, on discharge. That's right. You probably should edit that out. But anyway, was it the was it the now Governor General? Could be onto something there. I oh can't, no, who no, was it? It was uh, no, it was the one after no Martin. It wasn't Martin? Was it? I think it might have been. Yeah, Martin. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, Giles, that one's for you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never pay, forget that. Pay day. us later. Yeah, that's it. Although, although there was another guy who um. Uh, concocted a story about being abducted by aliens that you might recall that went around the battalion like wildfire and that's the reason he was late for parade yes I vaguely remember that yes Seymour well sir it goes like this (laughs) it goes like this sir there I was (laughs) it was just light yeah anyway sorry so Tennant Creek get the um, yeah get the call up how did you get back I'm pretty sure I jumped in my car and thought, well, I've got a couple of days driving ahead of me. So, yeah, um, yeah headed south back through Catherine and, and back to Townsville. And I mean, that's an epic road trip on anyone's. But to go, I'm driving back to Townsville to then go to Somalia. Well, it was like I'm going back to Townsville to go to World War Three, And yeah. that's what it was like, man. It was just like, here we are. I mean, this is what we joined the army for. Every roadhouse you stopped at, it's like, hey, uh, can I get a free? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Do you know I'm you uh, off to Somalia <laughs> in a couple of days? And they're like... What? Who? Who were you? Where the fuck's Somalia? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Is there an army out there? Yeah, but anyway. But um, the ground running and, and Giles, um, you know, obviously had us, mm. um, you know, in pretty good order. I mean, I was, I was fortunate to be in, you know, that patrol was pretty loaded and we had some really... You mm. know, um, Looking back on it. Yeah, I mean, some, you know, Blue Anderson and uh, Shannon Brown, Danny Goddard. Yeah. Absolute thruster. Got a good story about Danny later. Have you? Mm. Let's share it. I will. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen Danny for ages. Mm, mm, um, mm. Danny changed but, my life, man. Really? Yeah, I'll talk to you about it later. Let's talk about it now. All right. Well, we're <laughs> going to get to it anyway. So I did, I did, I've mentioned it before on another podcast. So I did selection for SAS, I think in 94. Yeah. After doing the recon. Jeez, you would have been, how old were you then? 20. 20? I think. And you got recommended to do selection? Yeah. Jesus. Well, I ran a 14 minute, this is the thing, right? If you can yep. run. Oh, uh, yeah. I ran a 14 minute, um, 3.2. 3.2. Beep. On the 3.2. Yeah. 
Really? I might have to edit that out. No, he's not in anymore, is he? No, he's out. Um, it's the only time I've ever beat Darren at anything. <laughs> I don't think I, I certainly didn't beat him on that selection because he got in. And I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, and I think I think my selection was there. Would have been some char. I'm just thinking about that selection. So you would have had guys like Mort. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. There were some hard charges on that. I, I Are we allowed to that, say but, their names even? I don't know. Well, they can't tell us not to. I mean, yeah. Like in 2000. There's no one else here 19. with us. It's just us, mate. Um, yeah, fair cool. Yeah, and I lasted about, oh, how long would it have taken Saltmarsh to get on that bus? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he's come on the bus and I'm like, oh, fuck. Here we this go. This is real. It's game on. Um, we did the swim test first. I'm pretty sure I failed that. <laughs> um, then we, we we got ran somewhere, loaded our kit onto something, and um, then we walked somewhere most of the, most of the day <laughs> in the dark most of the day yeah then the next the next morning we did a, a 5k run and then i think we did another long walk yep and i like i actually had hurt my back were you still carrying your ash bag everywhere at this stage no yeah. no just a Dumped. lot of stuff like it weighed yeah. more than me yeah <laughs> and um, <laughs> i'm not sure if danny was on that selection or if he knew people who were on it but um anyway basically what happened is i pulled myself you know Withdraw our own request. Yep, yep. Day, d- d- morning of day three. Yep. Fuck, it could have been day two. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> it was early. Into it, was, it, was, it was on the first group of people. Yeah, anyway, I found myself on the tracking course at the end of the year, that same year, that same year maybe the start of next year. Yep. And someone asked me about SAS selection. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I can't remember. I think it was like second week or something like that, you know. <laughs> and Danny's just turned to me and going, you're a fucking liar, mate. Like, just called it straight out. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Bang, there it was. I mean, Danny was known for that. He yeah. was a straight shooter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I respect that. Yeah, absolutely. Even more today. Yeah. As a, as a dad of two boys as well. Yeah. I've and got a funny story about Danny too. And I was like, oh, what do you mean, mate? You know, like getting your back up. Like, what the <laughs> fuck would you know, mate? And he's like, dude, I know you fucking, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I put my head down. I went, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And I walked away from that. A, I was crying on the inside, you know, because I was still young. And B, I was like, um, I don't think I'd – no, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have internalised it the way I do now, but I knew I had to own it yep. to move forward. Yep. If I didn't own that and if I didn't tell people the truth about it, I was never going to – I would never have gotten into SF. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, and so from that day forward, I, I promised never to lie to myself or anyone else with, that, regards, to my, with regards to my performance when everything else is fucking on the table. That's right. But, um, Smoke and mirrors. Yeah. But no, it was a, it was a real powerful – moment actually yeah, 100%. You know? and, and it's one of those when you look back on it, it's one of those and he's a good dude oh he, he's a quality I mean, we never talked again. quality human being and i'd fucking shoot him no um no we never talked again really i'm pretty sure no i never never really had a mean uh, a need to because we, we were never in the same platoon we yeah, were never right. in the same company we don't have the same circle of friends yeah but it was still a it was still a powerful moment really yeah yeah he's a quality human danny yeah so let's go back about you somalia recon platoon mm-hmm. no big deal no, uh, no big deal first job First job, yeah. What was it? My first job. Mm. We arrived. You dug the shit pit <laughs> out the back of BHQ. Yeah, and filled it with <laughs> diesel and had to burn it. <laughs> no, um, Giles' patrol, there was two patrols on the ground. I can't remember who they were, but um, already. So we arrived a couple of days, or well, might have been a week after, um, I guess the advance party from Recon got on the ground. So we um, got into uh, Bodoa. Like it was after dark. Um, but as soon as we got there, you could, you know, there was this energy you got because the, the two patrols were, you know, stepping out on, on, on a job. And, you know, as, as a still a pretty young soldier and then seeing, you know, that transition from, you know, going out on jobs in, in training, which is all we knew, to the boys gearing up and, 
you know, stepping outside the wire um, was a massive like, wow, this is it. You know, we're playing in the big leagues now. My first job, we um, we were doing some, um, I guess, reconnaissance on some track systems just out of town. I mean, you know, back then it was it was all about the movement of weapons and you know who who was supplying who weapons and and the drugs and all that sort of stuff. And back then, that the word was bandits as opposed to you know terrorists or you know the militia the militia we use back now sorry mm. so yeah it was a pretty sort of benign sort of job we we spent you know, i think three days outside the wire just um looking at tracks and but it was it was almost like a um you know a step outside the wire it's a bit of a shakedown patrol you know little well what, i guess what we thought was minimal threat but it gave us a good opportunity just to shake out you know from the the travel and get some boots on the ground so to speak mm. so there was nothing nothing you know mm. surprising about it or but it was like okay this is it you know we're mm. carrying live ammunition and it's not we're not training in Coombalumba or mm. um you know whatever sort of uh, location we were back in australia what was your like starkest memory of somalia of the op the whole thing you remember the most i know mine straight off the top of my head it's probably not like yours yeah look we because i guess recon we did we didn't have a lot of in- interaction with the the locals like we we saw a lot of stuff but you know, our ability to influence it was minimal in terms of like obviously the companies were doing a lot of food distribution. So, you know, you guys were like, I guess, within that human face of, um, mm. you know, the suffering that they were going through in terms mm. of starvation and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But the, the starkest memory for me is is we did a food distribution towards the end of it. We were sort of obviously found out we were coming home and so mm. the, the boss got us on a rotation. And the thing that lives with me even today is, is the um, – just the starvation and and the, and the kids crying, pretty emotional in terms of, mm. and it affects me even like you know I remember being a, a young father and my own kids crying and then there was this connection of back to Somalia. It really? was, yeah, it was pretty um yeah it was pretty pretty challenging. I think that for a long time there, I didn't give people the recognition for post traumatic stress that mm. they, they were getting from Somalia because I wasn't a dad. Yeah, over there. Yeah, and I mean I had someone put a. a starving kid in my arms that that subsequently died mm. over there that were going down a, a road at the time and she was like calling us over and uh, like driving down the road and she called us over and i was the first one there and she gave me this kid and i thought the kid must have been about you know not even a year old and he was four mm. that small yeah wow that's yeah, crazy yeah it was crazy i remember the kitchen burning down the kitchen burning yes that was my that was a moment because we all went on ration packs that was my it. most emotional moment Good one. And six weeks, no change of clothes because they lost all our. Do you remember they lost all our bags at first and they didn't get them to yeah, us? Yeah, that's so we were right. in the well, same set of cams for like six weeks. No, I, that didn't happen to us in Recon. We we had our bags. Oh, because you had patrol cams. Yeah, no, we didn't. <laughs> you had trial cams. But we didn't get to go and leave to Mombasa like all you. Oh yeah, guys. we we missed amazing. out. Amazing. Yeah. I met Whitney Houston while we were there. Really? Well, a version. A version of Whitney Houston. Let's move on. So yeah. Somalia was Somalia. Mm. And then and then we came home. And then we'll just skip over the, I think, five years of touch footy finals that we won. Yeah. First battalion. I think we were undefeated for five years against the, the might of the rest of the brigade. Yes. So. Someone asked me the other day about <laughs> the time that um, the engineers beat. Um, was it the engineers? No, three-quarter cav beat. Um, third, fourth. Yeah, third, fourth. <laughs> beat. Beat beat the first battalion in rugby. And I said, yeah, but what you don't know is that that year, that was 1994. Yep. And that was our touch football team. Yep. And you beat us by one try. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't our rugby. That was our touch footy team um, playing rugby. So so then roll on a few years and fourth battalion. Mm. 
What's uh, how'd that all transpire? Um, I actually don't. I actually don't know this. I don't know how you ended up down in my battalion. So yeah, right in your battalion. Yes. Yeah. Fair. Fair question. That is so, a, that is a pretty. I'll make that statement. Okay. Go on. That's fine. You can make that statement. <laughs> so I'd spent um, what was it? A that was ninety ninety eight. End of ninety eight. I um, posted to Singo to the School of Infantry as an instructor. Yeah. Right. Two really outstanding years. Like I really enjoyed my time there as a as a as a young corporal like so i'd spent like three years as a patrol commander mm, geez that's good mate yeah it was outstanding like we had a really good oc mm-hmm. who just you know he thrust upon us some really good jobs so i learned a lot as a, as a junior nco in that couple of years and then took all those skills and knowledge to, to sing out where i could sort of influence the, mm. the young kids who were coming through and had a really good two years it was challenging personally but my work life was was on point. Like I, I just loved it. I love that environment. You know, passing on all the the skills and knowledge that I'd learnt from my time in the battalion. Because I was in the battalion, you know, ten years. So, well, yeah. And then yeah. Um, down to the school of infantry, which was outstanding. Mm. So on my last year there, there was so that was ninety nine. There was I was going to be promoted, and you know it was unknown where I was going to go from you know, corporal to, to sergeant. And then there was obviously four area at the time we were, were sort of gearing up for East Timor and they needed some um, mm. senior NCOs as patrol commanders in, mm. in recon platoon. Mm. Makes sense. I had no like, – my career path was Townsville and two years at Singo and then back to Townsville. That's that's mm. That was the default setting. And then the opportunity came up to go to Sydney and I thought, well, this seems like a good was challenge. Was promotion? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so took that and myself and um, Mick yeah. were, were promoted and, and – Posted down to Sydney to mm. to four hour commando, and then boom, you, me, Mick, Reese. That's what, yeah, the dream team, the dream team, all in recompetent. There we were. Yeah, yes, good and times. Then, and then that was um. Well, let's think about it. That was that wasn't even really four months of of gear up training, ready to go. No, it was pretty pretty, pretty short. Quick. Like, and and we had some. There was just a lot of challenges. I remember through that four months, like because we had reservists with some really old school four hour oh, guys. We had. Multiple people from multiple recon platoons from across the army, from across the generations yep. in the one platoon. Yeah. And a really young lieutenant. Yep. Lieutenant. Yeah, he was a lieutenant. And and Reese is the And Reese you are the man himself. Platoon sergeant. Yeah. Cast his own shadow. And we were trying to get all that together and make it wow. We yeah, now I think of we it. We had some challenges. Mate, yeah. I, I had some challenges in myself. You know, I was trying to, you know, my understanding of, you know, going from four to five man recon patrols to this nine man, you know, section uh, slant um, yeah, two, two team. Yeah, yeah, two teams. Um, and luckily I had, um, you know, one of my, my two IC, um, Grari, was absolutely outstanding. Like he'd been in the unit for a long time. So he was sort of able to sort of guide the processes and, and mm. really introduce me to, I guess, the senior privates were in my, in, in my team it at the time. It was safe to say that you're the most qualified recon guy from in my mind, in that platoon, probably looking back on it now with a little bit of empathy <laughs> and intelligence, we probably didn't draw on that experience enough. I think that's a compliment, Brand. But I remember there was a lot of information, and and you know, coming into a new unit, like you know, guys like yourself had been there for a while, so I was on a steep learning curve, man. Like and we, I, I and was had, trying to, and we had SAS guys in there as well from exactly New Zealand and, and Australian SAS, yeah, hundred percent, who'd done patrol courses and had their own way of doing things, which was you know. Technically right mm. as well. 
yeah. but it was trying to mix all those yeah, you know, all those skills all those personalities into one mm. tight group in a, in a really short space of time so did you enjoy that deployment um mm, yeah I, I i enjoyed the soldiering politically it was hard it was it was it was i found tough. that too yeah yeah. Mm. yeah in terms of the work you're talking about um, I loved the work and I really I liked the, the, the military work. Yeah. I found myself lacking as a leader in that year with other people of my rank. Yeah. Because I was in charge of people the same rank as me. I wasn't yep. promoted to sergeant at that point. Yeah, that's right. Until halfway that, through. Yeah. Yep. So I found that really challenging. Yeah, you would and have. I found I found you guys, the other patrol commanders, challenging. Um, in what way? Um, I think probably looked up to yourself and, and Mick a little bit too much and then didn't, mm. didn't do my own thing, um, which made me second guess. I never never saw that though. Yeah. I remember I'm looking pretty at you guys and I was thinking, what are these guys doing? You know, and because, yeah. yeah, there was a there was a lot of challenges. I mean, I mean I, you know, in terms of not only um, man management issues, but, you know, the, the jobs we were getting on as opposed to the jobs the boys thought we should have been getting. Mm. So there was that contrast there as well, and and, and trying to sort of maintain the peace, mm. of the, what, what I found in my patrol anyway. So um, we've got this awesome photo because Reese came out on one of my patrols down to Paris, <laughs> Paris, London, <laughs> um, and we were in a hide together, mm. and it was the two of us in this hide, and everyone else was back in the in the uh, lie out position behind us, and we were all in all this lantana, and we were actually watching a, an Indonesian. Um, military command post, not command post, a military um, sentry post on the border. Yeah. But it was hidden. And one of our Kai was, was um, flying up overhead. And these guys came running out with a shoulder-launched weapon. Nice. And we had a D1X camera with the Swarovski scope on yep. it. And we started clicking away. Yeah. And Reese is like, shall I call this in? And I'm like, call, <laughs> call it in, call it in. This is game on. Right. And um, Reese is trying to call it in, but we couldn't get comms because yeah. back then comms wasn't like it was in Afghanistan. We were nah. fighting for comms. You had to fight for comms every time. And um, yep. anyway, they didn't they didn't pull the trigger and they went back inside. And then now remember we're looking through binos, so they're what power are they? Six, uh, six yeah, to nine, six or, or eight like power that. or something like that. Where the Swarovski's like a sixty power. Yeah. And then we looked at the D1X, the photos in the D1X, and what these cheeky bastards have done is they've got this piece of huge piece of bamboo. Yes. And they've made yep. something to go over the end of it. And then they've got a bucket on the other end taped up. And it looks just like a shoulder launched Sam or something like that. <laughs> anyway, we, we showed these to the CO who, you know, when we got back, we showed these photos to the CO. And I'm fairly sure that was used for some political leverage. Oh, 100%. But as it been. is. And that's what recon's about. It's about yeah. strategic, strategic yep. leverage, you know. 100%. But, um, yeah, I still remember Reese and I like Reese is like, should I shoot him? Should I shoot him? I was like, Jesus, I don't know, I don't this know. Be cool, bro. I, <laughs> like, I can't get comms. Shall I just shoot? You know, and Reese is like, you know, he'd be pretty keen to pull the trigger. Hundred percent. What would have happened? Yeah, choose your own adventure. Good trip. I, I didn't mind it. You know? Yeah, look, it was good. Um, that certainly taught us, I think, as a unit. You know, because yeah, I mean, from what obviously happened, you know, whilst we're in ET, each team or right. to, to so I was going to say mm. the world changed, right? It did, yeah. And, and September 11 obviously happened. Where were you? Did now I've got a feeling that your patrol. Now I might be wrong. Just correct me. I've you're got not a wrong. Feeling that your patrol came in after mine, and I went and saw, I saw you and said, "Mate, you're not going to fucking come in here and do this." Yeah, I feel like that happened. Yeah, well, yeah. Re- it's funny because yeah, Reese was out with us. Um, obviously, the platoon sergeant at the time. We were doing a job down on the TCL for like three or four days, and that's the tactical control line. Yep. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> I wonder if I can bring him in. 
We've just had a phone call from Roos. He's just come. He must be, uh, his ears must be burning. How you there, bro? Hey, bro. What's going on? Hey, ring me, <laughs> ring me back in two minutes. Oh, no, then two okay. minutes it is. <laughs> Classic. I'll show you something. <laughs> so um, we were down on the TCL, and uh, I remember the night that this went down. I think Reese and I were, you know, sitting in the middle of the LUP, whispering away as we did. And it was bizarre that we that night there was just so much activity, like in terms of um, satellite activity flying over what we could see. Obviously, we we knew nothing about what was going on in the rest of the world at this time, but. Um, we were extracted by helos from the TCL back to um, back to our headquarters location. Mm. Yeah, pretty much as soon as we got back to the tent lines at the time, I think the platoon commander and, and Reese grabbed us and it was like, "Hey boys, you better you know sit down yeah. and have a look at this." So mm. we didn't know nothing. And my patrol came back um, that morning, that morning in you know, New York time, and we were sitting in in the mess hall and they were showing it live on the TV. The second plane hitting. Yeah, crazy. Crazy, yeah, and, and everyone talks about that. Like it, everyone's got their story about where they were sitting down. Yeah, absolutely. Where where were you on nine eleven? You know, yeah. were you in the mess? You know, were you were you back here? And and even like talking to my Chevy mates now, everyone knows exactly that point in time where they were when the planes are crashing in, and everyone says it was like watching a movie. Mm. So many people say that. Do you know there's kids born? Well, there's kids in the army now who were born that year. Stop. That's crazy. Isn't it? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Um, but did it did change pretty much everything? Yeah, and absolutely. For us, it did. Yeah, massively changed. And then we had the CO come down and sort of talk to us all, didn't he, about raising the tag? And that happened fast. It did happen really fast. And and from memory, it was just like this is what's happened. This is where we're heading to. This is what you know we've been directed to do. Yeah, like that's weeks. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It, it happened sort of like. Yeah short space of time and then um there was obviously the you know obviously the word went around and who's going to go back and this is these are the courses they're lining up these are the capabilities and it was just it hey was man. just random. That was probably about three minutes hey um <laughs> you're actually on the podcast with uh platz and me <laughs> no, you've just called you've just called in i'm not sure if platz can hear you or not <laughs> no i can't you can't hear him no we were just talking about when you and platz came back from um field and um in in Timor, and then the the boss said, "Hey, you better come and see this." And then we found out about what well, you guys found out about September 11. That's right. Yeah, yeah, re- we did. Do you remember that? Sure did. I do, mate. I do. Patron saint of common <laughs> sense has joined us on the Warrior You podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, patron. Mm, yeah, there you go. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, great to be here as always. <laughs> How are you doing? You're right. Yeah, good, man. Good. You know, just getting sorted that type of stuff. Do you want me to give you a call back when we're finished? Yeah, that'd be great, mate. Hey, pass on my best to the Platts as well, mate. I hey, will. Uh, hopefully, catch up with him. Yep. No worries, man. Love you, bro. See Bye, you bro. soon. Yeah, you too, brother. Bye. Well, that's my first caller on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Won't even edit that. It's like two uh, GB calling. That is so weird, isn't it? That's Classic that technology can do that. Yeah, and so wh- why weren't you on our first course? You weren't. No, I wasn't. What? So I don't even. I can't. I mean, I've got to admit, the world accelerated for, for, for me. And yeah. um, on on, I'm going to do a podcast. I'm going to talk to you about it after this. But I'm going to do a podcast on Bram's. 14 ways of nearly dying because I've, <laughs> I've, I've worked out I've nearly been killed 14 times in the army. Right. Yeah, no shit. Like, really? I mean, yep. Legit. Legit. Actual. It, it's actually, there's, there's more, but some of them are touch and go. Okay. But one of them, which is on the border, yep. on the borderline of dying and not, 
was on that um, pre-selection for Tag East. Back right? in Sydney. Back in or, Sydney. Yeah. I'm not sure if you were there for this or not. No, I wasn't. Mate, they... Anyway, they did all these environmental testing. Yeah. And one of the things that they did in the <laughs> old 4 hour lines there, there's a whole heap of tunnels that go under the parade ground. The tunnels, yeah. Right? They, put, they had us in gas masks and body armour and webbing. Maybe it was just webbing. But no, no, it was the old South African body armour. Like the the stuff that we used to, you know that stuff. Yeah, we yeah, used that's to wear right. Yeah, over the top. It didn't have plates in it. Yeah, South yeah, African yeah. webbing. Yep. We we had to go through these tunnels, right, to see if we were scared of confined spaces and the dark. And some CSM whose name shall remain, <laughs> yep, thought it would be smart to turn the fire hydrant on. <laughs> and guess who I'm behind? The patron saint of common sense. I'm big behind, man himself. I'm behind Reese. Big big Reese. Who who. <laughs> who is a, 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 like the most advanced cave diver <laughs> that you can get. So he's yeah. fine. He's like, oh, he okay. would have been in his environment. Oh, okay. That's I'll just it. put my mouth on the top of this concrete tunnel and start breathing <laughs> breathing along the cracks. Classic. Meanwhile, behind him, I'm dying. <laughs> like I'm actually drinking water. Like, And the tunnel goes from large to small to small to small. And there is a point in there where I'm now blacking out, <laughs> drinking water, dying. And Reese has found the exit. <laughs> And he's just put a hand down and grabbed me and pulled me up. And then I, apparently I've taken a big mouthful of air and gone, oh, okay. And then expelled all the water out the other end. Like it was touch and go. So they almost killed me in that. And yet, you know, if we did that, if you did that to dudes this day and age, oof, you would never get, oh, you'd be, oh, you'd be safe gone. work Australia. Yeah. You'd be all like, you'd be out. I'm sure they did a risk management for it. I'm sure they did. Said no one ever. Said, look, both <laughs> of us, like we're not even drinking and we're saying silly shit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a it, life accelerated fast for me, and I mm. found myself over in Perth, and I had one of the early, one of the first. It was called an Iron Man garment. It was one of the first garments you could get. To, yep. Yeah. On that um, two weeks CQB course, ran three hundred k. Jesus. Those dudes beasted us. They would have done too. Absolutely beasted us. They would have taken you to town. I know all their names. Yeah. We've got a list. They trained me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> so when did you when did you do the so what did you do? When um, I went, when so I, I don't know if you remember, um, I came to East Timor a couple of weeks late because uh, wife at the time, Trina, had a miscarriage. Oh. So um, I guess respect at the time, like um, I had, I think, a couple of weeks leave and then joined the rest of the lads in, uh, in East Timor. I didn't know that, mate. Yeah, so that was a testing time uh, personally. And then obviously, you know, six months away and, and you know, Trent is dealing with that. So I had a decision to make, you know, because obviously, you know, the guys who were going to go over and do um, the suite of courses were going to be away for like three, four, six months. Oh, it ended up, for me, that ended up being, God, two years. Yeah, absolutely. Because mm. so, I all the sniper stuff straight after it, back 100%. to back to back. Yeah, I mean, there was guys who basically went from Sydney and then lived in, you know, Perth for 18 months, yeah. you know, as you know. So I had to make a decision, I guess, back then, and mm. um, I right chose not to. Yeah, yeah so. sure. Which was tough because, you know, everyone was obviously excited about what was going on. But uh, Tough, but I was up there on Tag East while you were in Iraq. True. Mm, so it wasn't, so it worked out. Well, yeah, I guess, yeah. It's, it's funny how things worked out, I guess. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So. But you, so you, so then you ended up, well, yeah, where, where'd you go? So I came back and then um, went from. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What was Ops Support Company, Recon Platoon at the time, into mm. my first uh, exposure to Bravo Company. Yeah, right. As a team commander. Yeah, not even old school Bravo. No, well, I was never old school Bravo. I know you were. And, and I think it's the, it's the yeah, go on. It, it's funny. Like I think I was the first uh, when I, when I was CSM Bravo. I think I was the first in a long line of guys. Well, before me, um, yeah, yeah, right. Who wasn't? Who wasn't old school Bravo? There you go. So that's mm. my um, claim to fame, anyway. Mm. Mm. And so then roll on Iraq. Was that a good deployment? It was frustrating. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was. It, you know, we we're obviously, you know, it was early days of, you know, capability for, you know, commando capability, I guess, in that sort of environment. There was a lot of excitement and expectation of what we were going to do and what we were told we were going to do, you know, going into Iraq. Oh, we've missed the fact that in all this time, you've done the full suite of commando courses. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Sorry, man, just glossed over No, that's all right. Just glossed over it. Just glossed Minor over details. The, just glossed <laughs> over the fact you went and got yourself fully qualified. Got but, qualified, yeah. So, um, no. Just before, before Timor or in, before and after, actually? Started yeah. uh, just before Timor. Yeah. And then obviously Timor kicked off, so there was a pause yeah. on it. And then, and then uh, rolled over. Got, um, got all those courses under my belt when, once we got back. What was the hardest course, you think, or the most challenging for you personally? I think urban ops. Yeah, yeah, it was like yeah, because you know, they would have made it more exacting, I imagine too. Oh man, it was it was considering full on. where they were going with it. Yeah, hundred mm. percent. It mm. was it was challenging. Mm. Uh, you know, we spent like three or four weeks at Lithgow in the yeah. old arms factory. Yeah, and environmentally challenging as well mm. as you know you were just being front loaded with information. Yeah, you know we had some absolute you know thrusting instructors at the time who so absolutely beasted us, but mm. you know that was where it was at um that was probably the most challenging course i remember lithgow in 1997 on that course on a version of that course it wouldn't have been as hard as what you did it was probably you know because it was early days yeah but we were doing dps at six <laughs> o'clock in the morning on the on Not the hard your hands. on the hard standing outside and it was yeah. snowing on us yeah and I, and I was like, this is not what I fucking joined. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny comment you made just then about, you know, it wasn't as hard as your course, but we all have that, yeah. you know, it wasn't as hard as mine, but I think it's as hard as, you know, you know, we talk about mental toughness and stuff, but everyone has their own gauge of, on how hard oh, they would do. I did the it. first of all the easy courses, mate. Yeah, apparently. that's right. I mean, and your, and your course wasn't as hard as mine, like, and your selection, and it was yeah. like, no, nah, well, it was hard at the time. Yeah. And my deployment was. wasn't as hard as your deployment yeah, that's wasn't right. as hard as mine. Yeah, how many times, yeah. did you, how many hours and days yeah. did you spend yeah. outside the wire? Yeah, oh, yeah well, it's all relative. Yeah. It's all metrics, it's all that's bullshit. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so Iraq and then... Afghanistan not long afterwards. No, no. So I, um, what did I do then? I was spent, actually took over your job. That's right. Uh, as Ops Sergeant in the tag. tag. Um, so that would have been 0, no, zero 06. Yeah. 96. No, 06. 06. Like we're talking about. 2006. Edit, edit that out. Yeah. 06. Um, Which, um, yeah, I mean, so I'd done the ACQB or the CQB course a couple of years prior and then mm. basically had to sit on my hands for a couple of years until got the opportunity to go up there and see what it was all about. So that was interesting. Mm. Good times. Was I an instructor on your course? Yeah, you were. Yeah. It's funny, I was thinking about this this afternoon yeah. as I was driving over. I um, remember that. I think I ran that course. You did? Yeah. yeah. I remember loose, um, loose a, young, a young Bram Conley go on. thrusting about uh, – we actually were on our way back um, – and we on the bus from Richmond back to um, Holsworthy, mm. 
And I remember sitting a couple of seats behind you and you had your phone out or whatever it was back then. I think it was your phone. And you were like just putting random words in. And I was like, what are you doing, Bram? He goes, I think you said, um, what's the effect of, I just really like words. And I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, pulling all these words in from books I read, from, That's you know, right. information. And I was like, that was a moment for me. I don't know if you picked it up at the no. time. And I was like, ah, oh, wow. Self-development. Maybe I should start doing that. Yeah. And it was just, it was just a random... Mm. Uh, just seeing yeah, someone like that. yourself, mm. you know, ultimate professional, um, just trying to upskill and professional develop yourself in your own like spare time. I guess we're on the bus and there's mm. 30, 40 minutes to kill. What's Bram doing? He's, mm. you know, putting words in his in his notebook mm. or whatever just to upskill himself. I think the word was epiphany. <laughs> it, was, it would have been, or fefanus. It would have been some weird fucking word I just liked the sound of. Possibly. I think there was a number of words. You were just mm. like writing words in. I reckon I could find that. I'm pretty sure you probably could. Yeah. But yeah, that was um, yeah, that was a moment. Um, I'm embarrassed. Thanks, why? Thanks You're man. blushing. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Need a hug? No, I don't. <laughs> um, yeah. So that course, oh, I remember that because I remember thinking to myself, "This has got to be hard." But there were some instructors that were on it, and, and I was the OIC of that course. Mm. And I remember thinking to myself, "There's there's mission creep here." Yeah. That these guys, we couldn't have done this, and and people have got to remember that. Yeah. Like, and it's a very very tough thing to scale back. Mission, yeah. Mission creep. Yeah. Well, there was a mix of instructors, I think, and then and obviously but good, we had... But it's a good lesson for guys who are listening to this who are in the Army today to remember the reason you have a TMP, you know, and the reason that you have a set of guides along the performance standards is to, to take people on a journey on those performance standards and not to put your own interpretation on them on what you could do or what you think they should be able to do. Yeah. Because, oh, by the way, half of you can't do that. That's exactly right. Like, you know, I'm just some of the shooting that I saw guys saying they should be able to do by now. Yep. You know, was ridiculous. Yep. You know? Yep. The TMP's there for a reason, mm. you know, to, to guide you through that journey and, mm. you know, to facilitate guys passing as opposed to, mm. you know, guys, you know, having their own personal reasons why you shouldn't get through or shouldn't shouldn't get through. So, yeah, yeah, yeah interesting times. But yeah. I like that was, you know, an outstanding you know, four weeks, I think. Do you think um, being on team helped you when you became the CSM before you deployed? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. In terms of um, kinetic know, kinetic skill, obviously, a hundred percent. You know what I learned in that twelve months mm. was just yeah, it was just front loaded me full of information in terms of you know how to manage guys, you know the expectations, the standards, the professional standards. But that company didn't go. That company didn't go over there as um, the old tag company did it. It was it was it hadn't been on team the whole company. It was still trickle at that stage. That's it. So yeah. there was like you know three or four guys yeah. that peel back down to yeah. the to the raid companies. Yeah. Uh, I can't explain. Then, I can't people don't understand when I tell them the company I was in was the first company that came off team. Imagine it. Yeah. We came off a year on team and went to Afghanistan. Yeah. And now imagine that. Exactly. You can't civilians no. listening to this won't understand. We took the national apparatus of the last line of defense in Australia for national counterterrorism and we we projected them into Afghanistan in combat. Yep. It's brutal. It's brutal, absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, there's a it's a kill. It's a just a well honed, absolute killing oh, machine. Oh, mate! From an outsider's perspective, looking into that, you know, it's just like you, you, you can't imagine, and you, you can't communicate those words to someone who just doesn't understand that capability, that monster, that you know, that well oiled machine, that you know, that those systems that were in place. Yeah. You know, to template it from domestic into, uh, you know. Uh, into Afghanistan. Mm. Um, Mind you, the Green Berets realised it pretty quick. Did they? They did, because they sent us up into Chora. Mm. Oh, and, yeah. And, yeah. And, and like, <laughs> and like I went, okay, 
And then, mm. and then we came back and there was no radio comms coming out of there for a long time. And they're yeah. like, what the fuck did you guys do up there? And he said, everything. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, it's funny. I remember reading some of your stuff and, you know, from operations you did in Afghanistan and the, the detail you sort of spoke about in transferring that domestic capability into, mm. uh, into Afghanistan mm. in terms of, you know, guys making entry into rooms. And I was thinking, wow, that's, that's brutal. Yeah. And, but it's just that's where we should be at. Oh, it was domi- that's, that's it was domestic CT in a in a in a in a, you know urban domestic yeah. CT in a in a rural setting. Yeah, and, and I've spoken to that yeah. about to a lot of guys. You know, in terms of it's a template that we take from domestic to Afghanistan, and that was the mm. that was the standard from that point on. From you know when you guys you know rolled it in, <coughs> and, and a lot of guys you know sort of you know have questions about that, but mm. the, the guys are just trained to to do those skills you know second nature we, we spend hours and hours on the range and developing those skills across the full spectrum of you know, what domestic ct brings yeah. us we had this strange period of time in the army when we first joined where the vietnam veterans had us mm. and they had a template for doing things against the Viet Cong, north vietnamese um which was you know run down crawl observe aim fire mm. send back passage of information because remember a long long tan I mean, not like in the movie, like you're talking a couple of thousand guys against you laying down. They were laying down, not doing you know char- charges like that, but they were everywhere. Yeah. And shooting and then yep. mustering and then doing a counterattack, yep. like fire, support, suppress, manoeuvre. Yep. And so that sat very deeply with the Vietnam veterans when training us. 100%. But when we went to Afghanistan, we tried to roll that out. They just kept, they would fire and leave. Yeah, exactly. And we had, and They'd we were gone. So, so mm. we went. Well, let's let's fuck this off. Let's chase because mm. we're special forces. Let's do this. Yep. And we talked about it. Yep. And like suddenly, two thousand and ten comes around, and you shoot at a commando platoon. They're after you. Yeah. They are running after you. They're not even. They shoot. Someone's shooting back. Yeah. But not everyone because the rest you're, of them are running after you. You are stirring and it the horns. Completely. Nest. It was a completely different gunfight. Oh, 100 percent. Mind you, would that have worked five years prior? Because then you had. Taliban A team there and we hadn't beaten them all by then. So there's, right. there's a lot of variables to this. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah, because I mean the, the people I saw in 2007 when I went over there, the people that were taken out of their, out of the houses and that, they were the real deal. Yeah, they 100%. Were, and this they is the were. other thing I like to talk about because I respect, I deeply respect everyone that we've had to conduct operations against because mm. um, everyone thinks they're the good guy. Yeah. They all have reasons to think they're the good guy, just well, like we did. Just exactly, to, yeah. they're the good guy because you know that's their backyard and they're protecting. Yeah, but you know their beliefs. Ideologically, they're the good guy. Mm. So you need to you know, temper temper all of this bravado with the fact that you know at the end of the day, it's it's a big boys game. Hundred percent. And you know, let's talk about a few critical incidents, which I know that we sort of, you know, I don't want to <laughs> skirt around them. I want to get it out there because it's a reason. It's probably the reason that I want to talk to you the most. Mm. Um. And and because I also think there's a there's a link to to one of them that you probably don't know about yet that I'll, I'll explain, but um, uh, Brett Till, um, talk, r- remind me, remind us all of, of what happened, and then and then you know we'll go down that path of what you had to do to deal with it. Yeah, so we were that was our first operation. You know, from we'd had about two or three weeks on the ground, just checking down, uh, you know, doing some stuff, and then we were sent on a, a disruption operation whilst there was a relief in place from from Bastion. Mm. Um, so it was predicted we we're going to be outside the wire for like you know three or four weeks, or m- maybe a fraction longer. And I think it was like day two or three, early morning, and we'd come across like what they're now known as is the Soa lads, um, mm. IRR back then would. Mm just absolutely like you know we 
we've we come across ID after ID on this um, path we're moving through a place called the Shambrack Valley, mm. which, you know, obviously the Taliban did not want us to move down because, like, we were stopping, you know, every sort of probably four or 500 metres with ID hits. And obviously the boys would, you know, take us around them, uh, you know, mark and, and move on type thing was our, you know, SOPs at the time. This is pre-Bushmaster too, right? You had two, but you had the rest of two, SRV. Yeah, so everyone was so light skin. Dangerous. Yeah, as SRVs. Yep. Um, you know, so minimal to no, no come, protection. No coming back from that. No. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, we'd been sort of on the go for like 24, 36 hours. So the boys were pretty fragged, pretty mm. fatigued. And it was pretty amazing to sort of get the reporting that was coming back. Because obviously, being in the, the CHQ TAC, we were sort of, you know, a platoon behind. So probably, you know, um, 15 or so vehicles behind the lead. Mm. And it was early one morning and the boys had got a hit. Which means a mine lab, had, they'd found a, an IED or a dog or something had found an IED. Yeah, so the, the mine lab, the boys were mine labbing. And so Brett, yeah, went forward to um, obviously neutralise it. Mm. And it gets a bit sketchy on exactly what happened. Mm. So, um, you know, talking to lads since then, Brett obviously went to, to lift the IED to render it safe. Mm. And Which is unusual. Yeah, so it wasn't... And I'm not sure if this mm. is, you know... Wasn't in our SOPs at the time. We were just to mark and bypass. Essentially, was what we discussed in orders, etc. But that's probably another topic mm. to, to shine some light on. But Brett attempted to lift it. Um, the ID went off, and he he was killed. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I vaguely because I was the driver, and obviously the CSM and the mm. couple of lads, obviously the CHQ TAC, uh, Sig, and the the JTAC in the car behind in 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 the back mm. of the vehicle, and remember seeing this explosion and it was just like oh. straight away we knew something wasn't right yeah uh and then we had the alpha from romeo platoon obviously jump on the radio and you know reporting that there was a, a kia mm. so um Terrible. yeah it was just that moment like you just think mm. uh, yeah it was just it was just a moment like it's, it's still with me now and yeah, and yeah it's yeah, taken yeah. me and you're the csm so <clears> the, the company sergeant major really is a, a lot of weight of expectation and a lot of a lot of the reason that the other guys are okay now um, is because you have to do the shitty task really it's your your job to do all the other shit which I don't want to go into too much detail with but you know it's at the end of the day you're the repatriation you know mm. and shield people and I talk about mental health and how I want to change it to mental fitness and that would impact your mental fitness Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, um, because we were sort of, you know, obviously the incident happened and, and there was a little ability to get forward and, and, and influence what was happening on the ground. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, speaking to the key sort of leadership team from the platoon who was leading and, you know, they obviously went through some, uh, some really tough challenges. Like you're asking guys to go and, you know, remove their mate from the battlefield. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a question of like, well, how does that actually happen and how does that occur and how does someone then deal right. with that post? Right. So for, for me, post-traumatic stress, which is cl- – it's cl- I mean, we've talked about this and I know mm. that you suffered from that after that. Um, one of the lessons that I took away from that um, was how do I shield my guys from that? 
And I read a lot of books by Dave Grosman on killing and on combat, which was a, a good friend of mine who I, I can't name on this podcast actually told me to read him as well as, um, as, well as uh, The Bear Goes Over the Mountain. And so I read all these books and then we started to implement things in my platoon where we visualised having to do that job. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, I remember yeah. reading some of your stuff about yeah. this. Yeah, and so so I would build in stuff back in Holesworthy where we were, we were doing KLE sort of stuff mm. and then a guy would step on an IED. And I'm, I realise now I'm going to have to put a trigger warning at the start of this podcast, but a guy would step on an IED and then we would have to go through the, the, you know, the rigmarole of, you know, plastic bags and, and gloves mm. and, and doing what what you have to do to, to, to repatriate that person, which is a, a lot different. It's a lot different than what people think, yep, actually. I and I know that because it fucking happened to us, yep. to a coochie camp that was trailing us. And some IDs were put out for us one morning and the coochie who we'd given some support to had um, stepped on it and two, two guys were, were, yeah, killed. And my platoon, they... Uh, they were fucking amazing. They just launched into action. Straight got, onto it, yeah. Uh, the only thing that I sort of don't, you know, and I did this myself as well, like they, most of the guys forgot to put gloves on mm. and they were just, well, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I don't want to go into too, too many details, but it was it was challenging. Yeah. and But they didn't, they weren't affected the way they would have been. Yeah. Now, it wasn't an Australian uh, either. It wasn't, mind you, one of my team commanders who's very, very, very capable, has gone on to do great things, um, he decided one day that when we found an IED that he was going to go and render it safe. <laughs> and uh, when I asked, hey, where's such and such? The boys are like, oh, he's just down at that IED. So what is he doing? Oh, he's just trying to render it. He, he's, first of all, he's not an engineer. And secondly, I'm not going to let Brett Till's memory, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I've read about this in one of your, oh, one of your pieces, fuming. mate. Yeah, absolutely. I was fuming to the point where it was a leadership issue for me, yeah. not more than anything. I would have sacked him and sent him home that day if yep. I was – able to yeah i'm glad i didn't because he saved a few guys lives yeah, a few, few few months later yeah and and he even accepts the fact that it was a brain fart but he was just like oh yeah fuck anyone can do this but they can't no and if that guy could have very it, very you high you know yeah. trained skill that those lads go through yeah and if that wasn't enough you then had the damien tomlinson um ied blast which was you know and everyone a lot of people would know who damien is from the podcast um you know, who, who listened to this sort of thing. Yep. He's gone on to have a, a high-performing sporting career, um, amongst other things. Yeah, he's done well for himself. Yeah. It, it's funny, like, you know, Damo, for the character he is, he's really, uh, I guess, excelled mm. um, post his injuries and post, I guess, surviving that incident. Yeah, growth. Um, absolutely, it's growth in, in the most extreme cases. Like, mm. he's living and breathing, mm. being a survivor, mm. you know, from being probably as close to death as you can be mm. on the battlefield. Mm. So, yeah, it was pretty amazing to, to see him what he is now. And it's funny, when I read his book and, you know, the, the um, you know, seeing all the images and, um, yeah, it's, it's horrendous, like, what he went through. But I mean, you didn't just see the images, you saw him. Well, yeah, we did. Uh, well, he was um, CHQ TAC and one of the other call signs was Oh, you were down there. Separated. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they were up on the high ground doing some mm. stuff one afternoon mm. and, and, and we just heard this explosion, you know, from mm. I think we were probably three or four k's away. And, mm. again, it was one of those moments you knew that wasn't right, that yeah. wasn't supposed to happen. So, mm. and obviously things unfolded from there. And, you know, I remember seeing the other lads who were in the car the next day and, you know, just the absolute carnage that was, you know, brought back and... Um, sort of had to mm. process and go through but 
Yeah, Damo was, you know, was touch and go. Like, you know, I remember getting the updates, you know, from the um, CSQ TAC comms and, and it was just like, you know, we weren't sure he was going to get through it all. Mm. Uh, he, he, you know, and, and guys that worked on him that night, mm. um, you know, a couple of those lads or one of them is not with us anymore, um, Scotty Palmer. Mm. Um, absolutely, you know, they lent on their training and, and basically saved his life. Mm-hmm. Um and a lot of people say that, but at night on the battlefield when an ID has gone off, mm. um, you know, situational awareness is zero, for those guys to do what they did. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like yeah. it's just... In the dirt. It's in the, hard in to the... paint enough detail into that picture itself. Yeah, yeah. You know, that the scenes that they would have been faced with. Yeah. But they lent on their training. Yeah. You know, and it's just, you know, I, I take my hat off to those guys. Yeah. And, you know, and I've heard day. Damo talk about it. And he, he has the utmost, like, he's so thankful. Yeah. To be fair. Like 100%. He, yeah. He's very, very thankful and he, he, every opportunity he gets, he, he does. He yeah. says something about it. Yeah. yeah. And that's not just the catalyst for, for what was, you know, PTSD for yourself, was it? It was, it was combat. Mm. Like, it was actual real, you know, like, there was combat too. And we, the thing is, I don't think many Australians understand the intensity, the scale, the length of combat that, Australian, especially two commando regiment, yeah, were absorbing in that best part of fift- ten to fifteen odd bloody years. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, don't I mean, think they've got any idea of you know. I mean, we, the the long ten movies just come out, Danger Close, and it shows a snippet of twelve, 12 hours of probably the most intense fighting that Australians have ever been involved in, as long yeah. as Capiong and and then you've got the light. These are all stories that are known. Yeah, but there's stories that we've got of you know days and days of. Or fight standard battle. Yeah. yeah. I mean, since I've been out like a couple of years or three years now, just over, the amount of civvy people I've met and, and friends who are close friends now, mm. and I always refer them to a couple of key, you know, uh, either books or documents or podcasts. Mm. And the first thing they say to me is, Plats, didn't even know this. We didn't, we didn't know mm. this was going down. Like, you know, I, I don't understand. Like, is this, did this actually happen? Mm. And it's like, well, yeah, it did. And for, for you know, for two commando and, you know, the other units, we were there for an extended, you know, nearly 10 years and guys were mm. repeatedly exposed to this sort of um, level of, you know, combat operations. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's that, it's that whole, do we, you know, obviously we want the public to know mm. and, you know, I guess um, operational security is a bit more relaxed these days, but... Well, it's not, but it's different. Well, it is, but it isn't. I mean, there's so many more books mm. now and, yeah. you know, they're all telling their stories and there's mm. podcasts and there's guys, mm. you know... Um, who were pretty senior guys who are you know either writing books, doing podcasts, mm. or so the information is getting out there, mm. um, and and rightly so, mate. I'm you know, I'm yeah. a, you know still have a duty to protect protect people. And Correct. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so the detail is there, but the I guess the you know intimate detail of the who, the what, the when, the where, and the why, and all that sort of stuff, and you know names and places is probably protect it. protected. Protected. Mm. Yeah. Um, when did you first know that you were having issues? So that, that there was a – that something wasn't right, that you just weren't the ant platter that went over there? Mate, pretty much about two or three days after Brett was killed. To Fuck, be honest, really? Mate, I, I was like – I don't know what happened. Like, I, I remember um, – yeah, I just withdrew into my shell, um, into myself and it was almost like I was in this, you know, shock and awe and, and just mm. – I knew straight away something wasn't right, mm. and and I kept diaries. Like I had my um, my diaries, which I was you know just putting notes in when mm. I could, and I still reflect on those today. Um, wow. 
And, you know, I, I knew straight away something wasn't right because, you know, I, I'd spent a really, like, the, the year before I went to Afghanistan, like in 2008, so um, had an outstanding year, had a, a good rapport with all the all, all my lads in, in the company and, mm. you know, the senior guys. But And then faced with what happened to, to Brett and then, you know, it was only like, a uh, short space of time and then obviously demo and the effect mm. that it had on the guys who were yeah. in that vehicle. Um, I just faced this challenge of not being able to face the lads. Yeah. And and I didn't know why. I didn't know. And I didn't have a peer to go and talk to and go, fuck, this is going down. I don't understand it. Can you help me? Mm. I did at the end of the tour and I spoke to one key person, but I mm. wish I'd approached him um, during. Mm. Um, and, you know... I was challenged on a lot of fronts um, from the leadership team in the company, um, the senior. Because uh, it's hard to be in an optimal space when when you can't get your brain right. Hundred percent. Yeah. Like, I, mate, I went from functioning and yeah. being an absolute thruster to to like fucking withdrawing into myself and yeah, going yeah, and yeah, questioning yeah. like what's going on. What was happening? I don't understand. What was going? What was what were some of the events? Um, in physically, mentally. Just withdrawing, like I, I spent, you know, the first couple of weeks in Afghanistan, I was out with the lads on the ground doing stuff, engaging, communication mm. both ways, just facilitating as a CSM does, you know, running yeah. ranges. But then post that 30-day operation, I was just in survival mode, man. I, was, mm. I couldn't understand um, mm. what was happening to my brain, mm. what the, the decisions and the, the lack of communication. I, I couldn't even face the and lads, And we're mate. not set up. We're not set up. We weren't set up to instantly react and put someone else in that job and take someone out and and get them fit again. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Mate, on my first trip, and I'm in no way am I ever going to try and compare what I went through to what you went through, right? Oh, but like we said, we all combat's different than watching your your mates kill. The closest I came to that was one of the guys, you know, shot in the head. Different. Mm. Um, didn't didn't die, and um. And I'd set in place a plan that saved that guy's life. So there's, so because of that, yeah. And I'm not, I'm in no way trying to big note myself in that regard. I was the commander. I yeah, made yeah, that decision, course. that that decision to have those aircraft on station mm. saved that team commander's life. There's no yeah, doubt in my mind because there's no doubt in my mind that 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 um, sequence of events saved his life. It's a lot easier to reconcile putting him in harm's way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. But my first um, trip. You know, I was ripped out of the headquarters, thanks boss, um, <laughs> because the CSM was injured mm. and because I was uh, Warren Officer qualified as a captain, I was. Really? I then found myself as the ops officer in the field as the CSM with, with from going from... So the, you, you went over as the ops... I was the ops in, in the headquarters. In the headquarters. So yeah, I was right. in the headquarters and then for half of the tour. Yeah. And then when the CSM heard him um, back, like it was a pretty bad... Yeah, you know, it was like an IED blast. So, yep, so yep. he heard his back. When that happened, Bram, you're coming tomorrow. Now, I didn't have a weapon that was zeroed. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, this is all on me. This is professional. Yeah, yeah. This is a professional ludicrousy now. Look yep. back on it. Yeah. I'd given one of my sights to one of the one of the lads. Because there was no, I guess there was I'm no expectation. Snipe, ex ex sniper. Yeah. Lad needed a sight. That's right. Take my EOTech. Yeah. So I rolled out with iron sights. <laughs> Right, with a weapon that wasn't, and I hadn't even adjusted the the drum barrel was on. You know, you know, like he wasn't <laughs> yep, even. Yep. Fuck, fuck knows, <laughs> was fuck it knows. out of the bag? 
Or it was, was it still in the weapon bag, dude. It was camouflaged. <laughs> it was camouflaged. Yeah, like give nice. me that, give me that. It was camouflaged. I mean, that's the first thing you do yeah. being a recon soldier is paint yeah. your weapon. Yeah, it was camouflaged. Yeah, you know, it had all the gear because you do. Yeah, but it was all out of bubble wrap and shit, plastic. Yep. Um, we got out in the ground, and mate, I must have looked like <laughs> fucking you know, shiny op- op- <laughs> officer pile, you know. And it classic. was only the the two I see. He was such a good dude. Um. I won't mention his name. He was such a great bloke that he <laughs> he sort of looked after me for a bit until I found my feet. But um, I'm not going to say I had post traumatic stress because people know what I think about that. If someone's got it, they fucking got it. Yep. You know, if you don't, if you've got other things going on, you've got other things going on. Yep. You know, um, but that Christmas after that deployment, we were walking, um, we were walking across the sand dunes to the to the beach from my grandma's place, mm. my wife and I with young young child at the time. And um, I'm walking off the side of the track in the dirt, like in the sand. And she's yeah. like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I have no idea. Yeah. And I wasn't fucking hamming it up. Yeah. I couldn't walk on that track. Just mm. could not walk on it. Mm. Couldn't walk on it over in Afghanistan either. I was terrified. Really? Of stepping on something. That's crazy. Because, because not, yeah, because people were. They were stepping on shit. That's right. 100%. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's in my 14 ways that Bram's almost died, actually, because <laughs> I did actually step on one next to her. But, um. But the thing is, the next tour, I was psychologically ready to go. I'd, I'd heard of your stories. I'd read on combat and on killing. Yeah. I was a platoon commander. Yeah, I was in books. charge of these guys. Yeah. I had set myself up mentally to go. Yeah. And I was probably going to step on an IED, and I was fucking quite all right with that. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? I'd made peace with that fact. Well, yeah, you'd prepared yourself. Yeah, it was you know, completely different. came to that realisation, yeah. I guess, that and, this could happen. Right, and so post-traumatic stress for me seems also to be – I'm not ready for this. I've got no control over it. This just happened. I can't reconcile it. Mm. Whereas, and I, I quite often say, I think we can prepare people better for, for post-traumatic stress by going, the likelihood of this happening is high. Yeah. This is what it's going to look like. Now visualize that. And here's a whole heap of breathing techniques to visualize it. Here's a whole lot of neuro-linguistic programming of what that's going to look like. Now deal with it at the coal face. Now come back, that didn't happen. Yeah. And then when they go over, just like I did, it's like, hey, this is probably going to happen. I stepped on an IED and there were brand new batteries that had been sitting on a Taran couch shelf somewhere for too long and they were flat. Damn. And it, and it, and wow. it went down, the, the plates connected and I, I felt them connect. Yeah. And I was like, ooh. And I stepped off of it and the, the engineer came over and made safe the 20 kilograms of HME underneath it. What was the very first thing you did after that? Um, my int corporal said to me, he goes to me, um, oh, you've just won the lotto. Mm. Something like that. Yeah, you know, wow. That's he, crazy. He, he, was, he was okay. He was a good dude. And Except a few days later, in one of my 14 ways of Bram almost died, <laughs> a few days later. It's going to be a bestseller, I feel. Oh, my God. <laughs> on our recon course, I went to r- rappel out of the helicopter and, and put my carabiner over the frad. I've heard about this incident. Fuck. Yeah, wow. Put the carabiner over the frad and didn't clip it in. That's why I didn't get into recon platoon. I'm sure of it. Safety. Almost, yeah. Well, recon platoon in one area. Lent, yeah. Lent backwards and went out the door and this guy had to lean over and grab my shirt and pull me back in. I was gone. I was oh, I was out. Yeah, the rope wow. fell. The, ro- the carabiner fell in front of my face. Apparently, my eyes went like dinner plates and I had a pack on. And he pulled you back in and we're the aircraft. And he pulled me back in the aircraft. Fucking dude saved my life. Absolutely. 1994. We should be able to mention his name, but yeah, probably well, can't. Yeah. So that's one. That's 
that's one. That's that's. After, so you've got thirteen more to go. Well, that well, yeah, because there was one before that, wasn't there, in Somalia, <laughs> where the dude put a fucking Sten gun on my stomach and pulled the trigger. That's right, fucking muppet. Jeez, mate, what's going on? Oh, dude, I should have been. Yeah, but then then the int. Well, I'm going back to the story, but then the int guy, we're standing around getting a photo with all these Afghani bloody you know spec ops dudes from mm. from like not not military, the higher echelons of the police. And um, we're all getting this photo on the side of the road. And the int guy's like, oh, what's that? And he starts pulling on this stuff. And it's deck cord stop. sticking out of the ground. No, there's no a daisy way. chain of bloody IEDs right underneath us at the time. And I'm like, stop, stop, stop. Are you serious? I am, mate. And we all walked off back into the vehicles. And I sent the uh, the engineers up, so I guys up there. And they, they there's red cord sticking out of the ground. Sticking out of the ground, just poking up, just up, just enough out of the ground that he saw it and he started yanking on it. Jesus. And yeah. That's a moment right That there. was bullshit, yeah. And <laughs> and that was two days before my um, birthday. And it was after the Battle of Zabat Calais, which is, oh, by the way, yeah. number, you know, yep. high up on the the hit list of let's kill Bram. That's right. You know? It must be like one or two on it's the a, hit list. It's up there with, I didn't think I was getting out of that. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to hear some of the others? Yeah, do it. I was looking out of a window. I was looking out of a window in Afghanistan and a sniper had a shot and it went through the window. Glass window? No, 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 no. Just a just an open, just an open yeah, crevice, yeah, yeah. open. Yeah, it wow. was. Yeah, there, there had been a. Did uh, you catch up with this guy? No, we didn't. No, no but he had a shot at me, and um, it went. And it was only one shot. That was the only. That was the contact straight through that window, so that they knew who they who, what they were doing. Yeah, wow. Fucking Barnes walking around behind <laughs> me with a huge <laughs> antenna everywhere we bloody went. You over there from now on. <laughs> um, oh, classic. So yeah, so you so just to go back because this isn't the Bram show, um, although it is. It's we my can pod, make it. The it's Bram my show. podcast. Someone so, should do a podcast on Bram. No. So Platts, that so you knew that something was wrong, and then how did you? At what stage? I mean, you, you didn't get this fixed in the army, did you? Really, really get a chance to fucking confront it properly mm. until a few years later, or yeah. Look, I, I, as I said, you, I knew there was something wrong straight mm. away, or you know, a couple of days after, and then. You know, things sort of spiralled out of control and, you know, as the tour went on, you know, there was more and more pressure and, you know, I could feel it from the, um, I guess, the the key leadership at the time. But um, got back to Australia and, and sought some professional counselling, mm. um, which we had on the barracks at the time. But, you know, that was 2009 and, you know, we're 2019 really. and I'm still seeing my psych yeah. well, not the same psych then but I pretty much have gone through that whole period of time seeing a psych and a, a mm. psychiatrist as well but 2009 too that's not normal is it for guys to go I need to go and get some help no I found out you know, probably a couple of years later a lot of guys were you know, not necessarily self-referring because of the risk it had on your career mm. and I guess being you know a warrant officer at the time and that being I guess you know finished my CSM time moved on to a, you know, a training uh, position there was a lot of challenges in terms of you know okay well, what's my next step where do i need to go now mm. a- am i healthy am, am i able to be de- deployed again mm. you know so yeah there was a lot of challenges a lot of questions i had on myself and and i guess um is it just like there's a glass and you can only fill it so much um, and then it's, it takes it takes a long time to unfill it well i never realized you know if that if that's the case like my glass went from empty to full yeah like in in about five days yeah just like that, like, yeah. and it just changed me. And you know, as a person, as a father, you know, as a son to my, you know, to my parents as well. 
Um, so mm. yeah, that glass was full mm. went from empty to full in, in about you know five days. But mm. yeah, it was it was challenging, yeah, tough. like really yeah. challenging, and it's still you know it still is now. Yeah, to be honest. yeah. so yeah. I, I, I fight. It hurts there. me to hear that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mm. you know, um, it's just it's just what we face, mate. Like you know, mm. Mm. Um, mm. I'm determined to you know toe the start line, as I keep saying to everyone every day, and. Um, I've certainly been challenged a number of times since then, mm. um, career-wise and and on a on a personal front. But is it bad for me to say I'm I'm almost glad it was you, and and I, and I mean that because I've got a couple of mates that are you know that are the same rank as you that I look at going fuck you would not have survived that. Do you know what I mean? It's like Jesus, I, because you are one of the most resilient motherfuckers I've ever met. <laughs> I should do a book, Hard to Kill. Oh no, that's been done by David Goggins. That's already been done. <laughs> Let's come up with a new title. Yeah, harder to kill. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah harder, harder, harder than the Goggins two or something. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's yeah. I'm I'm not really sure how to respond to that, to be honest. Mm. But I, know, I mean, um, you know, I'm quite. We're both quite deep people, and I think that if if not you, then who? Mm. You know what I mean? Um, I, I put other people in that position and go, yeah, no, nah, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't be here now yeah yeah you know I, I was challenged professionally like and then you know i guess you see the writing on the wall pretty quick mm. and i certainly saw it really quick you know in terms of where my career was heading post afghanistan and all guys, that deployment are, to guys afghanistan. are brutal like we mate. we eat our own we used to i'm not sure if they still do but we used to eat our own yeah i mean i was slayed yeah you know pretty pretty harshly mm. by a lot of guys you know whether they've changed their opinion today i'm not really sure but and it doesn't really affect but you me know anymore. what you in my mind, you get the support of your OC, and then you'd be right in in low cases. And and I think that our in in defensive in defensive him, <laughs> we better, better watch where we go through this. <laughs> yeah, in defense of our OCs mm. and platoon commanders as well. They they you know what I keep I keep reaching out to Adfa, yeah, and, and RMC and saying get me in there to teach leadership, not the whole lot, just to explain to you the things I've learned. That you guys don't teach yeah. officers. There's a lot of things, mate. Because yeah. we think we think the army, we think the ADF has good leadership. And we do, we produce brilliant leaders. What we don't produce is people who are empathetic enough to yeah. understand when you have to go up and say to a guy, Hey mate, you know, I've got your back on this. Yeah. Because we're fucking ruthless with our own Absolutely. When, when they're in trouble. You've put that really well, man. Well, I keep well. It's worth money to me because I'm not. I'm not a not for profit. I'm yeah. like, hey, pay me. I'll come and do this. But <laughs> it's funny you should mention this because a mate of mine uh, who's a recruit instructor at, um, mm. oh sorry, he's a PDI uh, down at Kapuka at the moment. He just spent two days last week mm. on a leadership sort of package at RMC. Mm. But there's leadership and then there's battlefield leadership, and I think there's a little bit of a line there somewhere. Mm. There's, there's lots of crossover, but um, I, I think. In terms of what you're going, in terms of um, yep. you know how we should look after our own is, all, is a key point. All the people I talk to that suffer the most from post-traumatic stress outside of SF, the thing they all have in common is they all say that their boss didn't give them any any other way to do something. So there was no consultation. Yeah, and they're suffering for that. Yeah, right. Yeah, isn't that interesting? That is very it's interesting. Not, not not the not what I'm seeing from from SF. It's generally an, an event. Yeah, but for these other guys, it's like well, or a, a you know a number of events that yeah, lead well, to you know e- repeated exposures. I'm like, I mean, uh, I feel like I've got some pretty good lessons to to sort of push back into the command, and um, I hope to be able to do that one day. Like, because you know, I've, it's been a journey for me. But you know, in terms of you know that transition piece, and then 
post-traumatic growth is it seems to be the buzz now um so yeah the the, le- the hard lessons i learned and that were sort of thrown at me the challenges post that time mm. taught me a lot of lessons not only about my military career and you know where that was heading but life lessons as well is and um, the quality people that surround you who regardless of the situation regardless whether it was right or wrong mm. uh and the decisions you made at that time or that day or that you know minute or whatever mm. um they're just there for yeah. you. Yeah. Um, I talked to Marcus Smith the other day from Inner Fight mm. and um, we we're talking about mental toughness. <laughs> that podcast that podcast we did is probably not quite as epic as this, but it's pretty good. <laughs> he's a he's a tough dude. Yeah, absolutely. Mentally, mentally very, very tough. Yes. And I know he inspired you to do uh, <laughs> Murph, which you asked me to do, and I said, Hell no. <laughs> I'm gonna have repetition. Uh, the the heave scared me. Um yeah. how did you find that journey? Mate, it was it was it was a journey. Like there was so many unknowns uh, when I was going into that. And Slats did it first. Yes. Bastard. Well, yeah, slightly different variation because I did oh, okay. my, my challenge to myself, which I, I said to myself was um, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it RX um, unpartitioned. Yes. So you there beast. was 100, you know that that 200, is, 300. That, that is Murph. And then, yeah, well, it is, but different people talk about different. Uh, they do what Cindy. was the original Murph? You know, that came out from CrossFit.com. Yeah. And and you look back to like 2004. It wasn't partitioned. No, that's right. It was it was unpartitioned. Yeah, it was 1.6, 100 pull ups into 200 push ups into 300 air squats into 1.6 mile that's with a 20 pound yeah. or 14 pound plate carrier. Yeah, you can't break it down just because it's easy, guys. That's it. That's not that's not in the spirit of I've done it I've done it. It's once. a hero award. I've done it once. Yeah, I've done it unpartitioned. It took me over an hour, and I see people who do it in forty something minutes, and I'm like, Yeah, I know you haven't done it. Yeah, because I wasn't unfit when I did it. Yeah, one of my first coaches in CrossFit, Rob. Whenever we do a hero award, he, his 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 line would be, and I hope Rob uh, listens into this because I'll plug him after this. But he would say, Sounds "It's messy. a hero award." Um, no, not that messy. <laughs> it's a hero award. It's supposed to hurt. Yeah, and like doing that Murph challenge, um, yeah. you know, I, you know, um, have you done Kiasu? Yes. Okay, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Murph. Yeah. Sorry. So, um, yeah, my wife is spewing now because my wife says, "Stop interrupting people!" All the time, <laughs> my hands go, and I'm like, "Fuck." So, yeah, thirty, thirty days. Yeah, thirty at what point, in Thirty days. At what point did you realize you'd bitten off more than you can chew, mate? <laughs> um, probably even before I started. To be honest, like I was, I was asking myself, "Is this actually possible?" Because a lot of you know um, guys around me were talking about, "Oh, you get rhabdo, your hands won't last, yeah. your shoulders will burrow out," because high volume uh, with only essentially three movements, it yeah. was like. Yeah, this is going to be a challenge. Have, have I bitten off too much? But, you know, I, I said to myself and, and my partner at the time, I said, well, I'm going to do is just get on the start line every day and, and I'm going to do it. You know, it's not about the time it takes me. It's not, I'm not about, you know, setting PRs. It's mm. just get through the work, um, treat it as, a, as an hour. And I had a goal to stay under an hour for the 30, which I managed to, to hit. Awesome. But, yeah, there was – and adaption kicked in so quickly. Really? Mate, like – So I you got, got fitter. Rad- no, yeah, I think I did. Absolutely, for sure. Mm. Like I did a stack of volume work going into this. Yeah, I, I, adaption kicked in about sort of day three or, f- or four or five after um, some doms. And then... Um, Just trying to do the maths. That's still... That's 30 Ks running in the month, isn't it? More. Yeah, it's 96 Ks, um, 9,000 air Is it really? 6,000... 6, yeah, 6,000 um, push-ups, 3,000... Um, pull-ups in the month in a month 
every yeah, day. That's impressive. Yeah, it was good. It was, and I raised some good coin for the Commander Welfare Trust, which is awesome, and uh, the Leukemia Foundation, right? Um, which was um, close to mine and another person's heart at the, at the time. Well, it still is, but um, that's another story. But um, yeah, do, it was an you, absolute journey. Like I loved it, and and I miss. I actually went the first couple of days after it. I was like, I want. Oh, I want to know. Do you think that CrossFit has helped with um, post traumatic stress and and the growth that you've from that? Me personally, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And and, like, it, and is it because without a doubt? And is it because there's a certain amount of suffering and silence going on in there as well? Yes. Yeah, I reckon. I get Mate, I get the same thing. You know, I, yeah. I was searching for something. And and I managed to find it through CrossFit. Mm. Somewhere I could, you know, you know, be in that professional environment, you know, be around good instructors, challenge myself physically and mentally to get through these workouts. Mm. Um, mate, like you know, you know, I was an absolute numpty day one of CrossFit. Mm. You know, I probably still am, but no, you're not. What where'd you, where'd you finish in uh, the Open in, um, in Australia this year? So in the men's forty five to forty nine, I finished twenty first in Australia. In Australia. That's not bad. Yeah, that was right. But I, I've, yeah, it was a, it was a challenging year this year. The problem for, you've for got is you're in the age group that when you try to go in the Masters to the games, is you're going to have people like <laughs> <laughs> there's some yeah, there's some big names in there. Isn't there's there? some massive names, and like you know, it's it's a goal of mine. Like mm. you know, between me and you, and everyone is just thinking, oh, I'll get there. Ten thousand people. Oh, I'll, I'll make it to the yeah. to the games as a Masters athlete. I've got no doubt. What are we now? Nineteen, I reckon. 21. Okay, we'll have you back on after you do it. Perfect. All right. Let's do that. Cool. <laughs> I think that'll do us for a wrap. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Anthony Platter, thanks for being a, a, an amazing guest, a great friend. Is there anyone you want to reach out to, anyone you sort of, anyone you want to give a plug to or the um, the place where you're working at the moment? Yeah, so um, I'm coaching at CrossFit Canberra, um, just reaching out to the, all the lads who um, I coach with. They've supported me massively in the last sort of two or three years and, mm. and, and backs me on a number of things. Also, the Rest and Recovery Centre, um, those guys, um, really professional organisation where sort of early days of what we want to achieve in terms of that full 360-degree um, recovery piece mm. um, for not only for athletes but for, for you know, for everyone off the street, um, so to speak. But um, two quality organisations, CrossFit Canberra and Rest and Recovery Centre. Mm, cool. Yep. Hey man, I want to thank you for being <laughs> someone who's inspired me for a long time. Um, I think anyone who's lucky enough to have you in their life is uh, get some benefit out of that. Yeah, those that aren't. aren't. And um, <laughs> yeah, man, I can't wait to have you back on again. Anthony, you're a gentleman. Thank you. Thanks, Bram. You're a champion. Thanks, Cheers, bro. bro. Cheers. Righto. That's a wrap for this week's show. Just a shout out to the soldiers and officers of the 1st Battalion, the Royal Australian Regiment, the big blue one. I'm glad to have been able to talk to a few guests now about Somalia. It was an important part of my own life. Growing up in the battalion, deploying as a 19-year-old, that's an important part of who I am today. And it's an important part of the unit's history too. Not me going to Somalia with them, but Somalia itself. Righto, some of the podcasts that I've listened to this week include The Man That Can Project, the creation of Lockie Stewart. Go and give that one a listen. And also I've been listening to Andy Frisella, the MF CEO Project. Uh, go and check that out. It's actually really good. All right. Okay. And remember, live a life worth living. Catch you later.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.